I'm Alex Milleris. And I'm Taisei Fu. And I guess uh, we can start with the results of the fruit draft, which we actually did two episodes ago, but forgot to do the poll for. So uh, that poll was this week. And unfortunately, I am back to my losing ways. Taisei has defeated me with a pretty nice 69% of the vote. Uh, was it, what was the, yeah, it was, that's what it was. We don't need to go into the exact numbers. Um, but anyway, uh, this is very disappointing, but unlike some of my other previous losses, I was not surprised by this one. Tyson, I might remember right as soon as we stopped, uh, recording that episode, I said, as soon as you took banana first overall, it was all over for me. Yeah, uh, this was, uh, yeah, back to my winning ways. You know, this one was a solid landslide, I would say. Shout out to the audience for, for the votes there, uh, for picking the right way. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it just, there was a, I, I would say it was a pretty solid route and, uh, yes, by far the biggest hockey news of the week, I would say. Yeah, probably. I, I, what I think is our fans, uh, need to get a, a better, need to put more stock into the meme factor because getting a measly 31% of the votes for a team with the passion fruit on it, which by the way, when I was looking at the slide, and I and I remember that I drafted passion fruit. I let out an audible laugh uh, because that fruit is that hilarious, and it deserved uh, more than thirty one percent. But uh, whatever, you know, we will of course. <laughs> I will avenge myself uh, eventually when we do our next draft. Whatever we discuss, I will uh, surely reign supreme. Yeah, you know what? I think thirty one percent was honestly a bit generous, and I think you might have received a passion fruit boost, even if you don't see it right now. You may have been running around fifteen percent had you not taken that meme value. So you know what? I wouldn't go ahead and criticize. I wouldn't criticize the voters. You're saying though. that That's the passion fruit actually lifted my team. What's that? You're saying the passion fruit actually lifted my team and didn't yeah, tear so. it down. Yeah, I think I think your five other picks were just that, that bad. Wow, that's pretty um, shocking. To the point where, yeah, well, you know, it is what it is, and uh, I think you got value out of the passion fruit. The, a yeah, lack of passion fruit, fruit was a bright spot. <laughs> All right, so. Uh, let's, talk about, let's talk about the offer sheet, which is like, when was, I, I'm surprised I haven't seen this floating around more. When was the last successful offer sheet? I think it was Dustin Penner in like 2008 or something. And it's only like the second successful offer sheet of like the 21st century or something like that. There were like Scott Stevens maybe before that. I don't know. Anyway. And uh, what do Jesper Kalkanemi and Dustin Penner have in common is that neither one of them are star players. Whereas Sebastian Ajo, Shea Weber, Ryan O'Reilly, Ryan Kessler, David Backus, back in their days, all were. And so the team's like, of course, we're going to match. So this better be, you know, reinforcing the lesson for GMs that if you're going to offer sheet someone with the goal of actually adding them to your team, you should aim below the the top tier of star players, uh, which we talked about last week. And most of the angles of this offer sheet we talked about last week. Uh, but now it's just that we have the confirmation. Montreal has, has chosen not to retain their third overall pick from three years ago. Uh, and therefore, we can confirm that Taisei and I were correct and that that was the wrong pick and that they should have, you know, at this point, now that they've lost Kakanyemi, even who we would have preferred, Philip Zadina would have been better. Obviously, though, in hindsight now, it would have been nice to have Brady Kachuk or Quinn Hughes on the team, wouldn't it be? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a reach at the time. And clearly, uh, it comes to show another, yet another third overall pick who's, honestly, maybe the pick wasn't terrible, but they've kind of scuffed the development. And so, like, down the line, from, from the start, it was kind of a botched job. Um, and then you put yourself in this sticky situation with a contract, leave yourself vulnerable to an offer sheet um, for a, you know, sub-star player, and Carolina took advantage. Now, I don't know if I would say, actually, Carolina took advantage, because I don't know if I love their spot here, getting him at $6.1 million. Um, but, you know, they managed to twist the knife a bit. And, uh, yeah, Montreal's completely played themselves. Uh, they've lost themselves a 21-year-old third overall pick. Like how how you never see that happen really. Uh, when they lose them for you know a first round pick and a third round pick, uh, that's kind of uh, that's pretty embarrassing. The optics on that one are bad. Um, and while like the reality of the situation is the asset management is also very bad. And so yeah, that's the end of the that's the that's really the end of the Kakaniemi uh, saga in Montreal. It was a pretty bumpy ride. And honestly, uh, you know holistically, I think it's just the. An organizational failure from the get-go, rushing him into the NHL, you know, kind of juggling him around the lineup as they did with Galchenyuk when he was around. Uh, and uh, here we are. He it seems like Kakami wasn't entirely happy with the organization. I wouldn't be either. Uh, and, you know, he bolted when a team gave him a lot of money. And who can blame him? 
Um, and he's definitely in a better spot in Carolina, just in terms of being surrounded by talent and stability. Yeah, from the Carolina point of view, uh, as we kind of mentioned last week, uh, this is another pretty stupid move move for them in a series of them this offseason. And Don Waddell, I think, confirmed that he'll be starting on left wing. Uh, and Cap Friendly agrees with me, and they're projecting him to start third line left wing because, of course, Carolina, you know, their centers, they're already pretty deep there. Aho, Vincent Trocek, Jordan Stahl, and the newly signed Derek Stepan down the middle. So not much room for Kock and Yemi there. Uh, and so now, all of a sudden, their third highest paid forward, $6.1 million player, is going to be uh, probably starting third line left wing to begin the year, which uh, would indicate... Hey, well, first of all, that's probably the right spot for him. But also, uh, if he's going to be worth that amount of money, you're going to hope that he works his way higher into the lineup by the end of the season. Yeah, this is just this is very strange asset management from Carolina's perspective. Um, you know, ignoring the whole like revenge offer sheet kind of view, which is already stupid. Um, but yeah, you're putting in a first and a third round pick for like you know a solid upgrade for a guy who's not who's not going to be playing his position that he's been playing the last three years, and you're sticking him on the third line. Um, and like I don't I don't really get what's going on here. Um, part of me thinks wants to believe that like they didn't expect. Uh, the Montreal to let him go and they're just kind of like but I don't know I can't tell I think they had to have prepared for them to you know for him to come over to Carolina but the way this roster is kind of structured yeah you can't really imagine that it is you know it's like it's not even that like it wasn't a priority upgrade that they needed a priority upgrade was you know basically addressing all the holes that they made for themselves over the course of this offseason and you know plugging in a center at third line left wing isn't exactly doing much. And then now you're, you're also, you know, $6.1 million this year. And, you know, we don't know what the extension is looking like. We assume that they're going to sign an extension with Kakaniemi. They've kind of like put themselves into that corner where Kakaniemi kind of has that leverage um, because he can just keep accepting these qualifying offers because they're so rich. Um, and yeah, moving forward, this team, I would say is significantly worse than what we saw last year because of all of their, all the stupid trades, the people, the, you know, like Dougie Hamilton that they let walk, and then these strange additions that they make. Um, all around, Carolina's a very confusing offseason. And not just confusing, I'd say, I'd say bad. One of the worst in the league. Yeah, for all the talk about, you know, Tom Dunnan being cheap or whatever, uh, this Kotkaniemi contract kind of, uh, you know, puts that theory into question a little bit. And you really, you put it side by side with, yeah, Kakanyemi, we can give him six, but not nine for Dougie Hamilton. Or we can give Kakanyemi six, but we can't give three and a half million to Alex Nedeljkovic, a uh, Calder finalist goalie, and instead, of course, replacing him with two injury-prone players on the wrong side of 30. So this is piss-poor asset management, cap management for Carolina. And not only that, um, Don Waddell said... Uh, he was talking like, oh, yeah, you know, the $20 signing bonus, or like, you know, the references to the numbers and the contract or whatever. He was like, that wasn't revenge. He actually, I think, explicitly said that that type of thing was to try and, like, increase their social media engagement or whatever. Uh, so basically what, what Don Waddell is trying to say here is that uh, everyone was was criticizing the Hurricanes so much after signing Tony D'Angelo that all of a sudden now they have to to put memes into the new contract to try to get people to like them again. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's like it's all all offseason they do these these moves that you know it looks like they're trying to turn heel um beyond like and, and like really present themselves as a as a bona fide shitty franchise and it's like oh let me let, let us repair our image with this with this oh Sebastian Ajo's number twenty dollars. Number like, twenty Wow, crazy. And the number 15, too. What do you know? So cool. So cool. Um, yeah, it's just that uh, it seemed, they seem a little lost there. And especially you put it in the context of that this $6.1 million contract you compared to, you know, what Ndalskovic got. You, you were telling me it's Barry Kokaniemi's worth twice Alex, what Alex Ndalskovic is worth. Not, not, not only in terms of draft picks, uh, not only in terms of salary, but also remember they gave up Ndalskovic for a third and then they paid a third and a first. For Kakanami, that's completely absurd. Uh, and and then obviously Dougie Hamilton. Uh, I would I would take you know three. I would rather take Dougie Hamilton than three. Yes, Barry Kakanami's worth of cap space. Uh, well, maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, but the point still stands that you know compared to these players that they left go, 
Um, the Kakanyemi contract cap, it doesn't make any sense. And this guy's no sure thing. 21 years old. We don't know what his development's going to gonna look moving forward. Hopefully better for his sake. But um, investing this kind of thing into Kakanyemi, uh, it's, you know, sure, it's good for the memes. It's good for the revenge folder, um, the revenge department in Carolina. But otherwise, still still a really shitty offseason here. And, uh, yeah, it really makes you wonder. Like, this, uh, this was a team where I thought, you know, like, cup contender moving forward for the next three years and they've kind of really really washed themselves out of that uh really within the last like four or five week- weeks yep um and for the montreal side of things they uh I, I don't think there's ever been a more obvious direct replacement for a player than christian dvorak is for cock and yemi here you know because they were as soon as there started to be rumblings like uh halfway through the week or whatever that oh montreal is uh you know, they have their eye on Christian Dvorak if they don't match the Takanyemi offer sheet. Uh, that's when I really started to think, like, okay, I don't think they're going to match if the leaks of who they're targeting for the replacement are already getting out. Uh, because at that point, they probably would have known if they were going to keep him or not. So that's why I really wasn't surprised when the news broke uh, a little bit before 5.30 yesterday that Kakanyemi was going to Carolina. And in terms of, you know, we talked about Christian Dvorak last week uh, and the fact that he is... Uh, in the present day upgrade on Kakanyemi, but he may not be the more valuable asset because he is four years older and doesn't have as high of a ceiling. Uh, but I think really what Montreal should be uh, more concerned about is uh, the, uh, the outrageous price they paid for Dvorak. And I mean, it's, I, I feel like I'm kind of numb to bad trades at this point because there were so many this off season that were just so bad. And the Dvorak one by comparison is like, yeah, there are some ways to rationalize this. But basically, the fact that they gave up a first-round pick and the condition is whichever one of Montreal's or Carolina's is better is just very bizarre to me. And it is uh, top 10 protected unless both picks are in the top 10, in which case they get the worst one, which means it is possible that if Montreal and Carolina both, both miss the playoffs, win the top two picks, that Montreal has the first overall pick and Arizona gets the second overall pick in the trade. But as you pointed out to me before we started, Tysay, the uh, worse option is that um, Montreal loses the 11th overall pick. And considering how Montreal and Carolina's rosters are both looking, either or both of those teams picking in the 11 to 15 range feels extremely, extremely possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Montreal as it stands and also Carolina where they put themselves. Both uh, give those mediocre vibes, especially Montreal. I'm really getting mediocre vibes from Montreal. And, to, you know, a mediocre team, you know, you usually have one picking 11th overall. So who's to say, you know, the Habs won't be that team. Uh, and, yeah, they'd be really be fucking playing themselves. Uh, because, you know, Dvorak, 25 years old, he's solid, under a decent contract with like four more years, right, at $4.5 million. That's all right, but it seems like this guy's already peaked. Um, he's not going to be much better than, what is he, like a second-round center right now, which is all right. It's solid, but, you know, paying a first and a second for that is like an overpayment. It's an overpayment, and he put himself into that pickle by, a like, leaving himself vulnerable to that offer sheet and then having zero leverage when it came to, like, weaseling his way out of that out of that whole situation. It seems that Arizona really kind of gauged them um, on this one and very successfully. So uh, first and a second for Christian Dvorak and his ceiling is just way too much. Uh, and yeah, he got played. He got completely played uh, because yeah, he had no leverage and they should have locked up cocky game earlier. So then they wouldn't have to put themselves in this, in this pickle. And yeah, I was, I did, I actually didn't know. I didn't hear about that condition until just shortly before we recorded when you mentioned it to me. And uh, yeah, truly just, a cherry on top of the shit Sunday. Um, it's uh, really you're gonna lose the be- the better one of the two uh, if you know neither of them are in the top ten. Uh, truly, some some baffling asset management from Bergevin. And uh, I mean, you look at their cap friendly page right now and their forwards. You know, obviously you have Suzuki and Caulfield on their entry level deals, but everybody that's like three three point four million dollars up in terms of cap hit, they all kind of feel like bad contracts, don't they? Like, they all kind of get, like, the Foley's, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty good contract. But, like, it's just, like, it's a whole mess of, like, three to six and a half million dollar contracts. Um, nobody's anything too special. You know, like, Gallagher, we don't know what. He's he's nearing 30 with that injury. We don't know what Julian's like. Anderson's nice, but, like, he's still a bit overpaid for too long. Hoffman, all he does is sit on the power play, and he's already 31 years old. And, yeah, Dvorak, who's fine. You know, it's all just, like, 
and Yoel or Mia at three and a half million dollars. Like it's all just it gives terrible cap management vibes, and uh, you know Dvorak just kind of contributes to that too. Yeah, with honestly, this team turned really fast in the off season because. I mean, Dano and Tatar were, you know, two of the the big names in the, wow, look how many great deals the Habs have at forward. And now all of a sudden, you know, Dano gone, Tatar gone, Corey Perry gone, Mike Hoffman is in, Christian Dvorak is in, Cedric Paquette and Matthew Perot are in. And it's like, wow, all of those are clearly downgrades. And looking at the highest paid forwards on Montreal now, which ones are good contracts for sure? Gallagher and Toffoli, maybe Dvorak. Druan is obviously a big question mark. Josh Anderson, we've been over it, signed way too long. And Mike Hoffman, uh, really a one-trick pony. And he's not even that great at it anymore. And he signed for three more years. Well, I say three more as if he's played for the team yet at all. He just signed this three-year contract, uh, $4.5 million. So Montreal has gotten uh, much worse uh, in this offseason. But uh, in terms of Christian Dvorak, I wanted to uh, shout out this tweet that I thought was kind of funny. And everyone was taking it seriously, but I think uh, the the thread shows it was meant to be a joke, even though you really can't tell. This is at Gino Manager. Uh, the name is Poverty Franchise Enthusiast, and the bio says, Fan of Habs and Canes. Here's the tweet. Call me crazy, but I can legitimately see Christian Dvorak scoring 90 points next year. The Habs are a finals <laughs> team. The Habs are a finals team, and it'll give him much better support than Arizona. Could you imagine him playing with Tyler Toffoli and Josh Anderson? Toffoli, by the way, is spelled T-A-F-O-L-I. And then he leads a power play with Caulfield on it. 90 easy, and it's the letters E-Z. And then the follow-up tweet from the same person is, follow for more great hockey insight. And that's what leads me to believe that maybe this was a joke. (laughs) It still leaves the door open. That he's being serious, um, you know, what with his spelling of Toffoli and whatnot. Um, but uh, yeah, of course, that's 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 the all that's that's what the logical conclusion to all this, right? Christian Dvorak, ninety point scorer. Um, <laughs> well, you know what? There's room to to suggest that maybe he sees a little bump in production because he's not playing in Arizona. But uh, uh, 90, 90, 90 just seems like a bit of an exaggeration. Although I'm sure there are some Habs fans who are uh, already three feet onto that bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Who was the last Hab to score 90 points? I have no idea. Me neither. Is that, Who was that even it? the last to get 80? Was it like Thomas Placanitz or something? I think Max Pacioretty maybe got close one time. I question if it's ever happened in the history of the entire franchise. Um, oh, it a- has. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there, do we have a history check on that? Let's see. Canadians... Most recent 90-point score? Is that what you're looking up? 80-point uh, scores. I'm sure maybe... Know. There's no way... I'm going to try looking up, like, year-by-year had the leading score or something. Because I might be able to get a list that way. That's what I'm looking up. All right. Here we go. Live on podcast uh, research. Yeah, yeah, here we go. Wow. Nothing is very uh, organized <laughs> the way we want it to be. Yeah, why don't we here? Let's take a little pause here. Let's wind back through history. Look at the Habs' leading point scorers. This past season, it was uh, Tyler Toffoli with 44 points in 52 games. Uh, what pace is that? I know it's not an 80 point pace, but uh, yeah, never mind. It's not an 80 point pace, so we, we don't care about it. The year before that, we had dun, 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 Thomas Tatar, 61 points in 68 games. Also, not an 80 point pace. For that, oh, by the way, Thomas Tatar is not on the team anymore. Before that, it was, oh, I think I remember talking about this. 72 points in 82 games for Max Domi in 1819. Wasn't this like, wasn't that like the highest point total of the entire decade or something? Is that a thing? Is that possibly, a bell? possibly. I just, I just have this, uh, I have this article up here. The Habs haven't had a top 10 point leader in the league in, what, 35 years now. So it's been That absolutely minute. checks out. It's been a minute. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, was the last time we had a bona fide league star, top ten point scorer, Matt's Nasland. So, yeah. Anybody remember him? Because I certainly don't. Everyone's favorite superstar player yeah. for the Habs. All right, Matt's I'm, Nasland. 
I'm winding back through the decade. It's a patch already led the team in scoring for a number of years in a row. Before that, I think it was Placanitz for a long time with barely any breaks. Uh, I'm back at 12-13 now. The lockout shortened year. Isn't this fun? Just clicking back on Canadian on NHL.com slash Canadians. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll jump in on the Wikipedia page. I'll start back at 2005, see if anyone pops up. Ooh, all right, and move forward. Uh, yeah, this is, this is this is great podcasting material. Absolutely, uh, we have. All right. Oh wait, I'm on I'm on Canadians on NHL.com slash Canadians, which should be like the official website. And as soon as I clicked on the 0910 season, it says no results found. <laughs> What's that? How does that? How do you just? You're just, you just you can't remember that far back. All right, time to go to like any of 50 other websites that can keep track of this thing for me besides the official NHL website. Oh, God, that site continues to suck every single year. Are we looking for 70 or 80 points? We're looking for 80 points, right? Yeah, yeah, oh, at boy. least 80. Oh, okay. It started with 90. You know what Christian Dvorak's going to do this upcoming season? Oh, right, right, of course. Um, I'm back at 2000, right. 2001. I really like Wikipedia for this, by the way. Um, they're... Okay, I'm on Hockey Reference. Okay. Oh, Placanitz had 70 in uh, the 9-10 season. Very nice. Wait, so you started in 05 and you're moving backwards? Moving backwards. So, yeah, let me know if I... Uh, up until 05. Okay. I'm back oh. in... Nope. Oh, I got, I got in the 07-08 season, Alexa Kovalev, 84 points in 82 games. There we go. We did it. All right. So Christian Dvorak, Dvorak, right in stone. It's uh, inevitably the first 80-point scorer since Alexei Kovalev. If it doesn't happen, it's a crime. Something has happened. Something has gone awry. Um, yeah. If it doesn't happen, it's... uh-huh. Um, everyone's talking like, oh, uh, Christian Dvorak has never played with a player as good as Brennan Gallagher, so he's going to have a coming-out party. And I just find, you know, the brand of Habs fans is like, Christian Dvorak's going to be a stud to be, I don't know, a little bit... Uh, delusional? I don't know. I kinda, uh, Delusional is uh, where I was going to say more like, oh, that's that's cute, and I feel a little bit bad for your, your misguided mind. Yeah, you wonder how, how much they've been paying attention the last, what, 20 years? Um <laughs> That they continue to do this, um, but yeah, this yeah, is uh... not only is Christian Dvorak good enough to score ninety points, but also the Habs are good enough that they will lift a player who's I wonder what his career high is, but they will lift him to become a ninety-four point player when they haven't done that for anyone in the entire twenty-first century. So yeah, that's that's not happening, um, and honestly. Christian Dvorak living up to this trade to his, to his, his uh, career high is thirty eight points. <laughs> it, it was seventy oh, games, man. so that's like uh, what is that? That's like about a forty four point pace Probably. or whatever. Something that's like his that. career high. Wow. Okay, so don't expect great things from uh, Christian Dvorak, and don't expect great things from this Habs anytime soon. Is I think the message to be had here, because um, you know, mm-hmm. going into the going into this offseason, I was like, you know, it was. Kakaniemi and Suzuki up the middle for the next 10 years, and now it's become Suzuki and Dvorak, which, you know, gives significantly worse vibes, I must say, in terms of potential. Um, it's like, when are you trying to contend? I'm so confused. Um, are you trying to contend this year? Mm-hmm. Which, like, sure, okay. Like, then Dvorak is an upgrade. But is this team really designed, um, you know, Caulfield in his rookie season uh, and a whole bunch of veterans that are kind of aging out and not very good anymore? This is when you want to contend? That doesn't make much sense. Um, but but then again, you just spent a whole bunch of a bunch of futures. You spent a second round pick three years from now um, on Christian Dvorak, who you know presumably in four years, if that's when they want to contend, when you know Caulfield maybe takes another step, when he you know he really steps into his prime, um, and maybe if that's if that's when you want to contend, while well, you kind of played yourselves out of some assets there. So his team really feels like it's lacking direction. Um, and if well, and if their direction is we want to win this year, that's frankly not realistic. Um, because they've gotten worse this offseason. And the team wasn't very good to begin with. They went on, you know, as we've mentioned many times, a bit of a fluky run there. And, the, you know, the conditions to replicate that just aren't there anymore um, with, with the new the division and just the fact that this team just isn't good. Yep. Uh, but how about the team that traded away Christian Dvorak, Arizona Coyotes? Everyone seems to be praising them these days for stockpiling draft picks. 
They have three first-round picks and five second-round picks in the upcoming draft, which is a, a ridiculous amount. But there remains a part of me that's like, have you not learned from 2015 when you went balls to the wall tank, you ended up with Dylan Strom, and you still haven't recovered? Because it feels like they're trying the exact same thing now. Uh, because, as you mentioned, nope, they're goaltending tandem for the upcoming season. Carter Hutton and Joseph Coronash. Uh, we got, you know, Anton Strahlman, Shane Gostisbehere on the defense. Cap Friendly projects the fourth line to be Antoine Roussel, Jay Beagle, and Louis Erickson. The three <laughs> cap dumps that they got from Vancouver. Imported straight from Vancouver. Yeah. Beautiful. Meanwhile, at least they have chemistry. You know, meanwhile, yeah, at least they have chemistry. Meanwhile, you know, Lawson Kraus, Christian Fisher on the second line. This uh, may be, you know, the worst team in the NHL, at uh, least on paper. And they are gunning for Shane Wright, slash if they don't get Shane Wright this year, uh, Connor Bedard the year after that. And uh, I am not convinced that purposefully and, uh, you know, very obviously tearing down your team is uh, is the way to, is the proper way to tank or the effective way to tank. Yeah, no, it's the thing is, it's like, it's, they're really broke everything down, but they don't have much of a foundation to work with moving forward. I guess they're, vision right now is to start building that foundation today you know a lot of teams that when they rebuild uh you know they tear the veteran team down but they've already got some sort of young core that they've been building for a while because you know uh that's that's what smart teams do meanwhile arizona it's like they're tearing it down every other year everything because there's nothing left and none of their prospects have really developed the way they want to uh and this team's a complete shambles i mean look at their forwards on cap friendly next season they have the rights to five play five of their fours that right now are listed in their forwards. I mean, two of them are RFAs. Three of them are signed to, you know, too much money. One of them is a cap dump and Andrew Ladd. And everybody else is UFA. So, you know, this team has no structure whatsoever. And even if you bring back some of these guys, nobody's particularly exciting at all. They all suck. Um, you know, so like, and it's not meant for a team like Arizona who's trying to rebuild. Um, you know, hopefully they can get it together. And like this, you know, how many picks do they have in the first two rounds this year? eight um so you have like over 10 percent of the first two rounds that's pretty insane um hopefully you can get it started there but obviously this this organization is dog shit from the from the top down top down um and i have no faith in them and it's a shame it's a shame for their fans but it really doesn't seem like they're working out uh you put on the you know relocation questions on top of it uh there's no moving forward and you know it's like it's like, you know, you look at Buffalo, they got Jack Eichel, you know, he's a stud, he's a superstar. They have, you know, other number one overall picks, like, you know, they have Darlene, uh, among others, and like, you know, but they still can't get it to work because if, no matter how many times you win the lottery, if you can't surround these players with talent, um, they're going to get disgruntled and you're not going to win. Even if they don't get disgruntled, you're not going to win. Uh, and Arizona really isn't laying the groundwork for even just like winning the lottery and getting a Shane Wright. What is he arriving to? Um, he's going to be surrounded by dog shit. And so that's, it's just, there's like, you know, tearing it down is one thing, but it seems like they've completely torn it down. And really there's no way forward. This roster is just completely barren of talent and their system kind of stinks. And they're just primed for losing and losing and misery and misery year after year. Of those three players they have under the three forwards they have under contract next season, uh, one of them is Andrew Ladd. The other two are uh, Nick Schmaltz and Clayton Keller. So yeah, no groundwork really for Arizona besides all the draft picks. That's really they're hoping they you know hit on as many of these draft picks as possible. And they actually have uh, exactly one eighth of the first two rounds. So on average, one every eight picks as it stands will belong to Arizona. So. That'll be an exciting day for them, which will be actually will be in Montreal, uh, which I'm still very excited about and hope to attend that 2022 draft because seeing a an NHL draft in person has always been, uh, you know, that's been an event that I love and I've always wanted to go see. Now, hopefully we can score some tickets. Uh, always keeping an eye on for when they're going to sell them and where. Um, but yeah, they. I mean, what they they it was supposed to be what last year, right? And then it just didn't happen it was, because it, it was supposed to be 20. It was supposed to be 2020, the Lafreniere right. year. Yeah. And uh, yeah, then they were like, all right, whenever the next draft is in person, it'll be in Montreal. So not 2021, but uh, 2022. All right. will be. A loaded draft class in Montreal. Hopefully you could score some tickets to that. Um, that would be tons you know, of fun. You know what I just yeah. thought of? What's that? 
I mean, I know, I know the Habs were kind of uh, not in a great position just now with the Dvorak trade and probably pretty desperate to get something done. But you'd think they'd have a little extra inkling to hold on to two first-round picks for the draft that is in their building. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and not just in their building, but just a really strong draft. Um, and for a team like Carolina yeah. that doesn't seem to be too much on the up-and-up, might be a hot, pretty high pick. Um, yeah, it just makes no sense. It makes no sense to give that kind of asset up for Christian Dvorak. Um, you know, a solid but cat ceiling capped second line center. Um, and that kind of asset management stinks. I mean, you could potentially get a bona fide stud to put next to Caulfield and Suzuki in like five years. And instead you got Christian Dvorak. Um, so, I mean, it's very, very oh, short-sighted. What? It bugs me that like whenever a team acquires a like a second first round pick, then all of a sudden first round picks appear to lose so much value to them, especially with Montreal. Like if they didn't have Carolina's first round pick, there's no way that they would have been like, yeah, we'll give a first and a second for Christian Dvorak. But the fact that all of a sudden they have this other one, it's like, oh yeah, we really only need one of these. So all of a sudden the first round pick becomes expendable. And Montreal isn't the only team that, Thinks that way. There are a lot of instances where it's like, oh yeah, Columbus has like three first round picks, so they're totally willing to to trade one of them. And it's like, why? Why don't you just have a lot of first rounders? Yeah, exactly. They're all worth more. They're well, you know, they're, like a first rounder is still worth a first rounder, no matter how many other first rounders there are uh, for that given team. Um, so yeah, I mean, it really doesn't make sense, and it's you know back ass word logic that we see constantly in the NHL. Um, and this this among one, this among it. Yeah, back ass word. That's right. Um, and uh, yeah, so the Habs saying, fuck it. We already have a second first round pick. Might as well give away, give it away for not too great of a player and overpay for it um, is uh, very typical NHL logic. It's a shame Bergevin can't think above that. And yeah, it's just, um, it's terrible asset management. That second first round pick could be something real good with this upcoming draft class. And yeah, I think now, now it's gone. Gone now. See you later. Yep. Let's play a fun game called look at the RFAs that are still left with the season starting a little bit over a month away. Uh, Cause I feel, I know this off season is shorter than a typical one with, you know, the Stanley Cup final having ended in July, but it still feels like at this point in the off season, there should be fewer than 20 RFAs left to sign. I know a lot of them are not very substantial players. You have your Dennis Mulgins and your Otto Koivulas and your Anatoly Goloshevs and your Cooper Merities, but there are uh, several very prominent names here. And one interesting one is Brady Kachuk because Sean Simpson of TSN, the sports network, tweeted the other day, my source tells me frustration has set in with the Kachuk camp. Brady is trying to stay positive, but doesn't understand why it's taking so long. I asked what has been offered and it was termed they have not received a legitimate offer from the Sens. Well, there we go. Um, for Brady Kachuk, being confused as to why uh, it's taking so long is uh, is a bit, you know, playing dumb because your owner is Eugene Melnick and you're asking for money. So th- there isn't much to think about there. Um, there's, it's a straight line to why you're not receiving the money that you, you know, asking for and be deserve. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the auto senators, notoriously cheap. And so they'll try to squeeze every last buck out of they can, not just for cap purposes because they got way too much of that cap space, but because their owner can't afford shit. Uh, so, and then now you risk pissing off, um, you know, your franchise player, you know? So makes no sense to me. I mean, you want to keep these guys happy so that if an offer she comes around, they'll be like, you know, they'll seriously consider taking a cut or like, you know, turning it down because they're happy with where they're at. And, you know, kind of pulling this kind of shit makes you wonder, well, are they really interested? Like, what is, what are their priorities here? Um, and it seems clear to me that Eugene Melnick's priority is, like, saving pennies. Yeah. With the past three years, Brady Kachuk, like, Pierre Dorian has has gushed over Brady Kachuk at every possible opportunity. Just, oh, it's, like, you would think he's talking about, you know, his favorite person in the entire world. I think didn't even say at one point, like, yeah, Brady Kachuk is the type of guy you would want your daughter to marry or something <laughs> like that. Uh, but anyway, so, yeah, basically from every point of view, you're like, okay, whether or not Brady Kachuk 
is worthy of being deemed like a, 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 fra- a face of the franchise player for Ottawa. It feels like that's how Ottawa thinks of him. And so, you know, he might even be the captain as soon as next season. I even thought maybe last year they would name him captain. Uh, and it's like, yeah, so they're obviously, you know, going to be totally eager to shell out the big bucks. And it makes me think, you know, Gary Dorian is absolutely willing to, and is obviously business as usual with Ottawa, Eugene Melnick pulling all the strings. And people were talking about like, oh, yeah, Kachuk's the player that every other team should be targeting with an offer sheet because of, you know, how stingy Eugene Melnick is. And, you know, if you offer him, I don't know, like $8 million, that's pretty reasonable. There's a good chance Melnick is like, absolutely not. Am I going there? And the compensation is like a, a first, second, third there, which for a contending team is probably reasonable for Kachuk. The problem with that is I think out of any RFAs on this list, you know, Pedersen, Hughes, I don't think Kaprizov's eligible, but like Rasmus Dahlin, I think Kachuk is the least likely to want to leave uh, because in the wise words of Pierre Dorian, uh, Josh Norris is his best friend. Uh, remember that uh, everyone on the Ottawa Senators is friends with each other. And I think Kachuk even lives with like Josh Norris and Tim Stutzla. So he probably has absolutely no desire to even think about going to another team. So maybe Melnick was like, yeah, we can afford to, you know, be be stingy businessmen, be assholes a little bit because we're not worried about him going anywhere. Wow. Okay. So apparently the vibes are too good in Ottawa. Uh, something that I've never heard of, um, heard before. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you know Eugene could, thinks he can leverage that, I sure he can go right ahead. But you know he's really playing with dangerous shit here, um, especially if the rebuild goes south and you see you know Kachuk starting to become less and less happy, the vibes become less and less immaculate. Um, then then we start to see a problem, and then you can kind of point back to like that first contract and you're like, well, they they kind of played hardball with him there, and they haven't been treating him too great. So you know, and you know, in terms of offer shooting Kachuk, yeah, I would I would go for it. You know what I mean? If only, like, you know, like, with Sebastian Ajo, you look at that offer sheet, and it didn't really see, like, that guy wanted to leave. Um, it kind of seemed like he just, you know, kind of used Montreal to get that contract that he wanted, which was not even, like, above market value. It was, like, it was easily matched by Carolina. That one was a no-brainer. Uh, and, I mean, this seems like a logical point for, for Brady Kachuk to do it, too, uh, for a team to come around, you know, give him a bonus late, or not, a, like, a signing bonus late in contract that really makes it hurt for... Uh, for Melnick, I mean, like you talked about, like that Aho contract, there was a lot of bonuses, and I was like, ooh, maybe Dundon's too poor for this shit. Um, Dundon's not too poor for this <laughs> shit, but Melnick might be, honestly, he might be. So, like, you know, give it a try, why not? Uh, and, you know, for a team like, like with Melnick, if he sees, like, oh, we're getting a first, second, and third, let's just take that. We're in a rebuild. Fuck it. Um, I, would, I wouldn't be completely surprised. Uh, and it would be very much on brand for that ownership group. Or just not even ownership group. What are they saying? Just owner. Uh, and yeah, so if I'm yeah. a team, why not? Just give it a try. You know, send him a nice fat contract. See if he bites. And if he does, that's great. And then you can get you know Brady Kachuk for a bargain at only like what 21 years old. Um, and if not, well, 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 we'll see. We'll see if Ottawa will match. But at least for Brady, he'll get the contract negotiation started because right now it seems like uh, Ottawa's lowballing him. I'm sure teams have approached Brady Kachuk about it. I'm. I'm honestly, I do think that teams approach RFAs every year, like testing the waters on offer sheets. And I think a lot of the big reason why you really don't see them that often is because most players uh, don't really feel like going anywhere or, you know, ruffling the the waters too much. You know, we always talk about, you know, the hockey man who doesn't want to cause any problems. And, you know, you might think, yeah, you know, if I, if I say, yeah, I'm totally willing to go to another team and then I end up staying put, does that cause any sort of, you know, rift, which... To be, it probably mostly doesn't, but with someone like Kachuk, I can imagine being like, yeah, I barely even want to talk to any other teams. But the player that I think should be targeted with an offer sheet immediately is Rasmus Dahlin, because not only do I think he still has untapped potential and an ability to reach the ceiling that Buffalo is trying their best to squander out of him, but I think he would be absolutely eager to go anywhere but buffalo so that's one that i'm kind of surprised there haven't been like more rumblings about oh offer sheet actually i say i'm surprised i'm never surprised when no one's talking about an offer sheet but if if any of the players on this list that should be targeted uh that one is at least makes the most logical sense to me look i think with uh in terms of these teams reaching out i think it doesn't have i disagree actually i don't think it happens as much as one might think just because a we see him so sparsely 
and B, you know, like this whole hockey culture shit that we always hear about. Um, and since we always hear about it, I'm inclined to think that it actually exists. Um, and it's not that these RFAs don't want to uproot their lives because it is it is a pretty powerful negotiating tool for them. I think teams are just hesitant to reach out to these RFAs in case they get the revenge offer sheet um, and they kind of want to avoid Why that. Not? Yeah, exactly. Now so we have uh, the trade for Christian Dvorak. <laughs> Yeah, and so so now everybody in the league is looking at that and they're like, oh man, we don't want to be the Habs, um, which you know goes to show how that that Hab, the Habs managed that entire situation. Um, but uh, as for Dalin, yeah, he's an interesting case. He's, he's a bit similar to uh, Kakaniemi there in that, yeah, he's like you know he's he's even more highly touted than Kakaniemi was obviously with being the first overall pick, um, and but you know he's kind of um underwhelmed because his development has been stunted by a bad organization. And, you know, it's, it's, it is, I think it's fair to wonder whether this guy is broken um, at this point. I know it's very early 21. He's got a ton of talent, but man, three years in Buffalo will fuck you up like that. I'm sure um, we see that time and time again. And, you know, I think that teams are maybe a bit hesitant on top of, you know, that hockey, hockey, oh, don't offer sheet our guys kind of thing. Um, Rasmus Dahlin feels a bit risky, honestly. Uh, he really took a step back last year. And he just looked lost out there. And like, do you want to kind of put that risk? I think personally, I would take that risk. But I, I certainly understand the NHL GMs not opening themselves up to that because they just aren't that type of people. They're all very uh, conservative in their ways. Yeah, you know what I think would would have been a cool idea is if a team with tons of cap space offer sheeted Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes at the exact same time, uh, and Vancouver was. You know, I think there could have actually been a point where Vancouver like couldn't match both of them if they would have like I don't know how that would or would have been you know really pressed to like clear the space to match both of them. Like say the look, look at the Red Wings for example, if they like I don't know if they didn't trade for Nick Letty, they would have like almost twenty million dollars in cap space. You know, you offer she both Betterson and Hughes. Do they both want to go to Detroit? Probably not. But say they do, say you give them each, you know, like $9 million AAV. Does Jim Benning match both? Does he only match, you know, one of them? Uh, it's, it's definitely a, a sticky situation, especially for a team that's so cap-strapped like Vancouver. But at this point of the offseason, I don't think any team has the uh, the space or, in Ottawa's case, uh, willingness to uh, to make it happen. Yeah, it's a shame, man, eh? because Vancouver's really in a pickle. Like, how much cap space do they have, they have left right now? Like, $10 million? Like, about or 10 and a half. Million. Yeah, 10 and a half for both players of that caliber. I mean, they're well worth $5 million each. So, you know, if I'm a team with cap space, but maybe not enough cap space for both, I'm, like, hitting up the other, like, any other team. You're like, hey, you want to go? You want to go in on this together? Let's fuck over Vancouver real good. You know what I mean? Like, each <laughs> oh, like team teaming up. Oh, you know, oh, it should my be God. Calgary and Seattle. Calgary and Seattle teaming up on the Canucks. Like, hey, uh, Seattle, you want to go after Pedersen? Calgary will go after Quinn Hughes. Uh, actually, that's extremely unlikely to happen just because you're also, even if you are hurting Vancouver, you are still, there's a good chance you're helping out a divisional rival by, you know, making it easier for them to acquire a star player. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, there's a 50-50 chance that you would be the team that benefits. So maybe it, uh, hmm, that, yeah. that's some really interesting mind game stuff. And just as much as you're potentially helping that division rival, you're definitely hurting a division rival in Vancouver, um, right? I don't know how threatening of a division rival you find Vancouver. Um, that's to be debated. But, you know, nonetheless, that's what's happening. And, like, if they, if this if they were to get double whammied like this, like, how does Vancouver even shed the cap space right now? Um, it's it's kind of tough to figure out. Um, they're just, I mean, what, do you try to get rid of, you buy out, I don't even know, do you try to buy out somebody, you try to trade away someone with a fat contract? It's tough. It's tough. And they really Tyler put Myers. themselves. Yeah, exactly. Like, who's, who's taking Tyler Myers, though, right? So, and put them like at this stage in the offseason with six million dollars. Like, who's taking Tyler Myers' contract? No matter how much, who can? Who can take that contract on? Um, so man, there's a really wait. There's so many wasted opportunities every single year with these RFAs and these offer sheets. Um, because uh, man, how spicy would that be? Uh, that Pedersen Hughes mm-hmm. double whammy. Oh uh, my god, this is the perfect place of time for it. Two RFAs for a team that's cap strapped of their own because of the bad moves that they've made, and you can just kind of 
screw them over like that. Like that's what we want to see. We want to see those teams kind of eat shit for all the for all the Jim Benning moves that they've made. And uh, alas, they'll probably both sign for four million dollars each, and I'll I'll cry me a river. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely really trying to squeeze them both for bridge deals. Like, oh, please sign for a little less at two years, so we can squeeze you both in. We promise we'll pay you more next time. I'm sure that's uh, the conversation that's going on. Um, I was just going to say something else about this. Oh, uh, kind of similar in terms of like mind game stuff. Jay Fresh pointed something out the other day that I was like, oh, that's such a cool idea. And I think it was sort of in reference to the Kotkaniemi offer sheet that he was really, uh, he wished teams tried to play, you know, Jedi mind tricks with other teams more often. And he said, why wouldn't a team, like like a good team, publicly offer to swap first round picks with a rival before the season started because then like imagine imagine tampa bay comes out and is like we would like to offer our first round pick to florida in exchange for their first round pick and florida you know the smart thing would probably be to say no because tampa's better than you but then at the same time you're publicly admitting you think tampa's gonna finish higher in the standings than you (laughs) wow Okay, all right. Well, now we're now we're talking. Um, I like this. I like this a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, you could really, you really, you got a good social media team there. You could really fucking, I don't know, what's the word? Oh, for sure. Turn the knife. Um, yeah, I like this. Yeah. I like this a lot. I like this a lot. You take a team, you offer them a significantly like you know, you offer the first round swap, and you you take it from there. That's uh, I'm a fan of this. And if I was a GM, I would pull that shit all the time. All the fucking time. Oh, God. Uh, if we were good. Oh, only if I was good. That That, that is quite the stretch, yeah. yeah. You have to be a good team for it. That's true. Uh-huh. Or, or yeah. we can we can do it with a bad team. With an even worse team, you know. I don't know. Does that work? I don't know. I haven't thought this one yeah. through. What, what, if Tampa, what, what if Tampa did that with, like, Arizona or something? And then Arizona would have to straight up be like, no, we're not doing that. We suck. <laughs> Well, I think that one's pretty. That that one's like. Well, that's obvious to any Arizona fan. But I was thinking, like, if I'm Columbus, and I'm like, "Hey, Buffalo, you want to swap first and that kind of shit," um, you know, just to spice <laughs> things up in this off season, you know, just yeah, to spice things make it up. More interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, trot the GM out there in a press conference, say those kind of bombastic things, and have a good time, um, and really poke fun at these teams, fuck with their fan bases. It's uh. You know, be a shit disturber. Who cares? It's the off season, and like, you know, what are you gonna do? Trade with these other GMs? Fuck that shit. Um, they'll come to me. So that's that's my, that's my philosophy as a GM, uh, and uh, I'm sure I'd be very very successful. Oh, no question about it. Uh, oh, you wanted to talk a bit about the Olympics because that's Hell officially yeah. official now. NHL players are gonna be going. And uh, although the Olympics and International Olympic Committee are a corrupt event and organization, making fun little rosters for the countries is definitely a fun activity. So I'm sure we'll get to that at some point. I saw Jay Fresh also did, uh, shouting out Jay Fresh all the time today, did uh, another activity that was like uh, having people vote on Olympic teams for Canada, USA, Russia, Sweden, and Finland. And he was like, here's the rosters as picked by you. And there was like the percentages next to it of like, oh yeah, like uh, 99% of people had Matthews on Team USA. And then it goes to the ranking all the way down to like, uh, you know, the 14th forward for every team. And it was like, ooh, like 55% of people had this player on their team. And then he even showed like the next five or six forwards or so and the percentage they got. So that was interesting to see the public perception of, of what these rosters may look like. One thing I found interesting was that on Team Russia, there was only like two centers that made the team. So I think Kuznetsov is still um, banned from uh, doing cocaine on camera. So the only centers on Team Russia that were voted on were like Malkin and Nemesnikov. So I don't know what the plan would be. Like, you are you moving Kaprizov to center? Or like, I guess you're probably going to end up with like Vadim Shipachev on the team. Very interesting. Yeah, I think another interesting position is that Canadians... Um, who the hell is playing goaltender uh, remains to be seen. Like, who is Canadian and plays goalie and is good? The, the three, the three that I think were on there were Price, Flurry, and Darcy Kemper. And some of the cuts were like Carter Hart, who could bounce back. That's a wild card for sure. Jordan Bennington, who's you know Stanley Cup pedigree, so he might make the team just uh, based on that. Oh, and uh, Mackenzie Blackwood, but we can't forget. Uh, 
one of the goalies who uh, not only received a couple of Vesnavos this past season, but was on the gold medal winning team in Sochi, Mike Smith. <laughs> yeah, we can't forget Mike Smith. Of course, of course. My apologies, my apologies. Um, okay, I just pulled up the J first thing. So, like, you know, you know, it's a bit problematic when night when Carey Price is a ninety two percent shoe in to make the Olympic team, uh, according to fan perception. Uh, makes you really wonder. Now, uh, yeah, the Canadians might like you know they're obviously loaded up reasonable. front. Um, but it's you reasonable. But fourth best goalie in Canada. Well, no, I'm not. Well, I wouldn't argue that. But it's just like I mean, if he's in the top three, I think they're a bit fucked. Um, I think Flurry, you know, Flurry's Flurry. He obviously wasn't a winner last year, and he'll be. I think he'll probably be the starter. Right, I assume. Then again, it is Mark Mark Andre Fleury at his age. No matter how good he's playing, uh, that drop off may or may not come one of these days, and it might be this year. Um, and then yeah, Darcy Kemper. It's like, well, it's Darcy Kemper. He just might not be. He might have like six broken bones. We don't know at this point. And the three other guys, it's like Carter Hart, who was dog shit last year, Jordan Bennington, who's like severely overrated, and Mackenzie Blackwood, who was like all right. So it's like, do I trust any of these with the uh, Team Canada? Um, Probably not. No, I wouldn't say so. I don't think, they, but uh, no, the roster in front of them is good enough to where could probably you know they will contend for gold. But uh, you know the goaltending is has been bad for a while. Just like you know, like in the World Juniors and such. Um, you know, like there's never been really a bona fide guy for a while. And uh, you know, Carter Hart's probably the last guy, and even then he's kind of floundered uh, in the NHL. So yeah, that's the one position of concern if you're Canada, really. It's that you have no real good goalies and the two top guys are old as fuck and potentially regressing. As you've seen with Canada, these tournaments in the past, like best on best or even world juniors, goaltending tends to just need to be passable uh, in order to have success in the tournaments. And I don't find myself worried at all if I'm Team Canada that one of Price, Fleury, or Kemper won't be good enough to, uh, to win gold. Like, that's not a... I mean, if you have to pick any concern on Team Canada, that's the one. But I really don't think they need to spend a second thought on that. Fair enough. Fair enough. The roster's good enough. And, you know, is there... Yeah. It's just you put the best guys out there and you call it a day. Uh, don't try not to galaxy brain to anything. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm fucking excited. You know, Olympic hockey. Uh, yeah, you mentioned how corrupt uh, that organization is. That's true. But uh, it's exciting to watch nonetheless. And uh, it's only in a few months. It's weird, eh? Because we just had the, what, what, who had the Olympics? Tokyo Olympics, uh, just a few months ago. And uh, well, we have another Olympics. It's like you know, 2022, 2020. You think it'd be farther apart, but it's right around the corner. Just for yeah. this, it's like they have the Olympic break this season. So it's exciting, you know. Best on best hockey. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. So uh, I'm ready for some. I play, I paid so little attention to these summer Olympics. Like th- when I think of these Olympics, the first thing I think about is uh my friend Andrew from MWCA who had a tweet during them that was like fun fact, even though these Olympics are taking place in 2021, they're still calling them the 2020 Olympics to stay consistent with the lore of Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games. <laughs> which Perfect. is of course the the video game series based on yes. the Olympics to which I to which I replied uh well, it's, it's honestly pretty surprising that they're spending this much money cosplaying a video game. <laughs> Good to see you were very invested in the Olympics. Um, yeah, it, uh, yeah, the Olympics were kind of a dud, weren't they? The, the Summer Olympics. Not, nothing, too, nothing too spicy. Um, yeah, so uh, that's Olympic hockey. It's coming near you, and uh, everybody's going to be doing the roster building thing. Oh. For the next like five not months, not near most of you actually. Kind That's of like true. as far from us as possible. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, how's that gonna work? Am I gonna have to wake up at, like three a.m. to watch the gold medal game? I'm already, I'm already yes. dreading it. It'll be a disaster. I'm already actually dreading. I think, it. I think they probably will recognize that since so much of the people interested in hockey are going to be uh, in North America, they might try to make it somewhat reasonable, like. 8 a.m. games or something or 10 p.m. games. I don't know. I don't think we're going to see too many like 2 a.m.s, but I don't know. I'm just kind of, I'm just speculating. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, They were talking about like uh, how China, you know, since they're the host country that they can get, they can enter their team into uh, Olympic hockey. Uh, But they, they normally play, I think like fourth division at the world championships. And some reporter, I don't know who was watching them practice was like, 
yeah, Team Canada against these guys would be like a hundred to nothing. It, it like it wouldn't be fair. You have no idea. And so I think there was some talk that maybe they're either gonna just bow out, or maybe even the IOC would ask them to bow out because it's just they're not even in the same universe as any of the other countries. Right. That makes sense. I mean, the exposure is nice for the hockey players. But then again, if you know, depends where the program's at. Are they planning on making a push in ice hockey? If they are, I mean, by all means, get crushed 100 nothing. But at least, you know, you get to play the games against the top-level competition, get some eyes on the game in China. Um, but if it's just like, you know, a throw-in, you're throwing in the towel, then, yeah, at that point, you might as well bow out. Uh, I mean, I know national pride is a big thing there. You're just embarrassing yourself. You're losing 100 nothing to all these different teams. So, you know, that's, that's an interesting angle. Have you, has there ever been a, like, uh, do we know any of these Chinese players? Almost definitely not. Um, but, uh, I mean, I'm down to watch a Chinese team. Um, even if they get shelled, uh, it's, it's fun to see these yeah. international teams. Yeah. You know, it's exciting. New uh-huh. countries. And I not? really think, you know, if the goal is to grow hockey in China, then I think that you should have the Chinese team play. And be- because even though you aren't going to win a single game, or maybe even score a single goal, like that is a way to stir up interest in the country about that sport that is very unpopular there compared to other sports. And I do know, actually, I remember, uh, I think it was the 20, wait, it was the 2015 draft. The Islanders drafted the first and only ever Chinese-born player, Andong Song, in the fifth round, I think. Uh, he, of course, hasn't uh, made the NHL. But now that I'm thinking about him, I'm going to go look up his stats and see where he's been playing on HockeyDB.com. And it looks like uh, he has not played since the 2017-18 season with the Madison Capitals of the USHL, where he had uh, one goal and zero assists in 48 games. All right. So, you know, yeah, you're, you're right in terms of growth of the game. You gotta get eyes on it. You gotta get that kind of exposure. Uh, you know, even if you lose a whole bunch, it's uh, if you're trying to go to the game for the growth of the game, it's good to have these countries in there in these markets that you typically don't see any sort of hockey. Uh, why the hell not? I think the NHL should probably try to make a push for it. I mean, well, it's, it doesn't seem like they've been prioritizing growing the game internationally, anyways. Really, other outside of like Northern Europe, um, but if they know what's good for the game, for you know, attracting those eyeballs, getting those ratings up. For those TV deals, uh, they know that you know growing the game in China is uh, is definitely the way to go. It's the way of the future. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see yeah. um, what what goes on. But uh, yeah, something to keep track of for sure. My final thought on uh, the Olympics is: uh, Do you think they bring they put TJ Oshie on the team just because of that Sochi shootout? That's like the most <laughs> overrated moment in hockey history. <laughs> overrated is right, and uh, you know what? Why not? As a as a as the bet, they they'll put him on. They'll stick him on the, in the press box for the first few games. Knockout stages coming around. They'll you know make him a thirteenth forward. Gonna play six D or five D or whatever it is. And uh, yep, why not? Why not? Um, put TJ Oshie on the Olympic team. I think that'd be really funny for the memes. I would yeah. appreciate it. I still, um, so I I assumed that like some casual fans assumed that that was like the gold medal game or something. It was in the round robin, and they finished four. They didn't even medal in the tournament. Team USA. Uh, but anyway, uh, let's move on to uh, my trivia for this week for you. It's been a while Ooh. since I've made one of these. Yep. I whipped it up pretty fast. It's called, Is This Player's Cap Hit in the Upcoming Season Higher or Lower Than Jesperi Kotkaniemi? <laughs> okay, all right. Let's go. $6.1 million. 000035, I believe, is the, uh, is the number. Yes. Right. 6.100035. Perfect. Uh, let's start with uh, Clayton Keller. All right. Well, we were just looking at Clayton Keller's, uh, well, or the Arizona Cap Friendly page. And if I'm not mistaken, Clayton Keller was around $7 million. So Clayton Keller's cap hit is uh, higher than Jesperi Kokaniemi's. Correct. Keller is 7.15. You are one for one. Oh, I guess the threshold for this is like seven. Uh, On how many? That's what we usually do. On 10. 10? All right. Let's go. Perfect. Next up, we have Brock Besser. Ooh, okay. Brock Besser, um, he's giving me strong around 6 million vibes. 
Um, so I'm going to, like, he feels like a guy that's exactly six million. And I think that's the fun thing about that Kakanima contract is that a lot of players are signed to exactly six million. And so then, you know, it's slightly under 6.1. Um, I can't wait till you throw me a guy who has $6.1 million. I don't know one off the top of my head, um, but it'll be $35 cheaper than Kakanyami. Um, but I'm going to say Besser's cheaper than uh, Kakanyami. Correct. Besser's 5.875. You are two for two. All right. Let's Next go. up, we have another Vancouver Canuck, Bo ah. Horvat. Bo Horvat. Now, uh, yeah. Wait, what, did you tell me what was Besser at $6 million in the end? He was 5.875. Okay. I can't imagine Horvat's paid more than him. I don't think he's paid six and a half. He's probably paid around six. I'm going to say less. Correct. Bo Horvat is 5.5. All right. Whoa, cheaper. Way cheaper. All right. Mm-hmm. Now we're rolling. We're rolling. Three on three. This is yep. uh, this is cheese. This is cheese. Mm-hmm. All right. Next one is Nico Hishier. Ooh, man. I do not remember that extension whatsoever. Nico Hishier. God. They signed that last year, probably, because he was drafted like four years ago. So, um, hmm. I'm going to say less again. Incorrect. Nico oh. Hischer makes seven point two five million dollars. How long was that extension? Was that eight? They give him eight last year. Uh seven or eight years. Okay. All right. Cool. 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 Right. Three for four. We're still on pace. We're still on track. Next up, uh, let's go with Alexander Radulov. Oh, for the Dallas Stars. Um, man, I think Radulov was around. He was above six. Right when they yeah, yeah, yeah he was above six Montreal kind of tried to get him last minute but you know he had already gone to Dallas so oh but was it yeah it was it was above six I think it was around six point five yeah so I'm gonna go uh, more expensive than Jesper correct six point two five million dollars for Rajalov we're, we're like one hundred fifty k here all right wow really mm-hmm. really trying to trick me all here right. all right Four all right five. next up we've got. Nikolai Ehlers. Mm. Ehlers is... Oh, shit. This one's tough. Goddamn. So, Nikolai Ehlers... Has he been? Has he signed a contract recently? Can't remember. Um, I don't remember. He seems like a guy... Who, oh, my God. Like, to say that he's paid le- more... Or, no, less than Kalkaniemi is absurd. But maybe that's the point of the quiz. Uh, to really kind of drive the point home. Oh, or maybe it's more. I don't know. He was he's definitely got that talent. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say he's paid more than Kakaniemi and laugh at it if the answer's less. It's a win win. Nick Ehlers is paid exactly six million dollars, so <laughs> you're incorrect. <laughs> oh my god. That's criminal. That's criminal. Holy shit. How many years does he have left on that? Uh, that's a good. I think four or five. God needs a new agent. Needs a new agent stat. It was a seven-year deal <laughs> when it was signed, though. Anyway, uh, next up we got uh, Chris Kreider. Oh fuck, Chris Kreider is. He seems like the guy to be overpaid. I'm gonna say more. Probably paid seven. Correct. Chris Kreider is getting six point five. Okay. All right. I don't so even know. I was like, these vibes are, are pretty good. These vibes are pretty good. We're, we're now at five for so seven. Oh, shit. All right. Nice. So next up, right. we have Dylan Larkin. Oh, shit. I thought. I'm pretty sure that Dylan Larkin's contract is like five and a half, if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe I'm mistaken. Or maybe he got an extension. That paid him seven, and I'm just shitting bricks. Oh, God. For a 50-50 quiz, I'm having a tough time. Um, yikes. Yeah. Yikes. Okay, I think I think he's I think he's paid less. This seems like an Ehlers kind of deal, where it's like, this guy's paid less than Cockney Emmy. That's fucking wild. Uh, so I'm going to take less. Correct. Dylan Larkin is paid $6.1 million. Oh, you did it. 
You did it. You did the thing. I did it. You did the thing. Uh-huh. You found the guy with six point one million dollars. <laughs> yep, I did. Uh, so what are you at? You're at six on eight. So you only All need right. to get one of these last two, okay? And you will win the quiz. All right. Next up, we have Sam Reinhardt. Ooh, Sam Reinhardt with his freshly minted contract. Am I right? Um. So let's see. Ooh, fuck, man. I do not remember the terms of that contract whatsoever. Um, what the fuck did he sign with Florida? It was like it was three years, if I'm not mistaken. And he was paid like six and a half, I think. Right? I'm pretty confident it was more than six. I'm pretty, like, less than six would be pretty good. But I don't remember thinking, oh, that's pretty good for Samurai. I was like, oh, that's fine. So I'm going to say more than Kakaniemi. Correct. Sam Ryan has right. 6.5. You win the hey, quiz. Let's go. Last one to see if you can get the 8 on 10. Let's last player here, Alex DeBrincat. Oh, shit. Alex DeBrincat. Man. See, I, I tend to think that he's less because, well, he was so, you know, un- underdrafted. He gives underpaid vibes too now because of it. So, and I don't remember, I don't think DeBrincat signed his monster extension yet. I think he signed a bridge. So I'm going to say he's paid less than Kakaniemi. Alex DeBrincat uh, oh. has a cap of $6.4 million oh. for this upcoming year and after Shit. that. And then okay. he'll be an RFA again. So, so wrong. he did sign that bridge. Seven that was pretty expensive. For you. All right. Yes. Very nice. Very nice. Well Thank done. You. Thank you very much. Very, very nice quiz. So so next week, uh, I believe it is guess who time once Woo! again. What team should we what team shall we embark? What are you thinking? I honestly don't have an idea of which teams we haven't done. It's been uh All right, let me pull it up. <laughs> it's been like a year long journey. Left. Uh we have not done Arizona and I feel okay. like that'd be a fun time to do it since it's they're the just best a time. barren wasteland. It's the best time to do the coyotes. There's no time like the present. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're just a total desert that, wow I, I wasn't even thinking in terms of the fact that they're actually a desert but like the team itself is just there's nothing there it's dehydrated elite elite joke at the end of the podcast just save the best for Thank last you. it's perfect on um that note, <laughs> on that note thank you very much for listening to fusion and hockey podcast we will be back a week from today on september 12th doing an arizona coyotes guess who and talking about whatever whatever else happens. And if nothing else happens, we'll come up with something to talk about. You can follow the podcast on Instagram, Fusion and Hockey Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter as well. Our handles are in the description.